Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Thursday, June 27, 2019. Broadcasting from the Beantown USA studio. Beantown USA is Boston's home for customized screen printing and embroidery. Get more information on their website, BeantownUSA.com. On today's show, there is some breaking NBA news that does involve the Boston Celtics as we wait for NBA free agency to officially begin this Sunday at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. And the move that it looks like, or at least it's being reported, the Celtics are about to make, I actually disagree with it. And you might know what that is if you've been paying any attention to some of the latest NBA news. But I will tell you what that breaking news is, and I'll react to it. And also, I'll get to some other NBA free agent news that's been out there the last couple days with some of the biggest names that could be available once free agency begins this Sunday at 6 o'clock. I mean, the NBA, that's really the top story. I told you on Monday, out of all the things that are going on in the sports world, it is kind of quiet around the world of sports right now, except for the NBA. Uh, But we also have some, and this is for my pro wrestling fans out there, we have some breaking WWE news. So I will close out the show with, that break in WWE news, and I will react to that. All of it today presented by DraftKings. Play for free at DraftKings.com or on the DraftKings app by using promo code PICK, P-I-C. That's promo code PICK, P-I-C. Why suffer through boredom with your fantasy baseball league by having the same team in the same lineup every single night? Play daily fantasy baseball at DraftKings. You can put together a different lineup every day for a chance to win cash prizes every single night. And again, play for free with your first deposit when you sign up using promo code PIC, P-I-C. That's promo code PIC, P-I-C, at DraftKings.com. So let's get right to it. The news in the NBA that is so Celtics-related, and I'm not just talking about this because... It is, I mean, look, obviously, I pay attention to what the Celtics are doing. Obviously, I will always react to what the Celtics are doing. But even though this is a show that's based out of Boston, even though I'm from Boston, even though uh, most of the things that I am interested in happen to be happening in Boston with the four major teams in this town, uh, I will always give you the top story even if it's not Boston-related. It just so happens that this top story is Boston-related. This top NBA story is Celtics-related. And the name that we're talking about today is Kemba Walker. Now, the last couple days, Kemba Walker's name has been in the news because it has been reported that the Celtics were one of the favorites to land Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker, 29 years old, uh, point guard from the Charlotte Hornets. He's a free agent. I think some people thought maybe the Hornets were going to give him a max contract. They could have given him a super max. And when we first heard the report that Kemba Walker was linked to the Celtics and then that the Celtics were one of the favorites to sign Kemba Walker, my first thought on that was that is strictly just Kemba Walker playing the public negotiation game. Like that is Kemba Walker's agent coming out going, you know what? Charlotte, they they don't know if they want to give us the the max deal or the super max. So here's what we're gonna do: we're gonna play the public negotiation game. We're gonna throw out there and leak some reports that other teams are interested. And in fact, Kemba Walker might be interested in those other teams to the point where we're gonna make a team a favorite. We're gonna throw a couple other favorites out there outside of Charlotte to sign Kemba Walker to put the pressure on the Hornets to give him the most money that they could possibly give him, the most years that they could possibly give him, the largest contract that they could possibly give him. If they're up in the air on it right now, if Charlotte maybe doesn't know what to do, we're going to put some pressure on them by throwing some other teams in the mix and leaking that news out. That's what I thought the initial Kemba Walker reports were. Because as I wrote in my column this week in the Boston Metro, For the Boston Metro newspaper, you can also read it online. I tweeted it out. Follow me at Danny Picard. As I wrote in my column, I just don't think Kemba Walker 
should be a max player, or at least he should not be a max player on this Celtics team, a Celtics team that already has a max player that, in my opinion, is somewhat overpaid in Gordon Haywood. I think Gordon Haywood's overpaid. What was it, a four-year, $128 million deal, $32 million a year for Gordon Haywood? I think he's slightly overpaid. I do. Look, there are situations in which you have to overpay. There are. And I'm okay with overpaying for one max guy. But do you really, if you're the Celtics, do you really want to overpay for two max guys? And I do think that if Kemba Walker gets a max contract with the Celtics, I think he'll be overpaid. You know, I think it's okay for Charlotte to do it because that's that's their guy. You talk about, uh, you know, the Larry Bird rights and all that and, and all the NBA, CBA rules that, I, you know, sometimes can be a little too complicated. I don't even have enough time or energy to, to dive into that, but you get the gist of it. You get the gist of what Charlotte can do with Kemba Walker compared to what the Celtics could do with Kemba Walker. But the Celtics, reportedly, now, today, this is coming from Adrian Wojnowski, ESPN, and you know when Woj gives a Woj bomb, you know you gotta you gotta believe it. The guy spits the truth, right? Uh, I couldn't tell you the last time Woj got something wrong or at least wrong to the point where he was brutally wrong. And if Kemba Walker does not sign with the Celtics now, based on what he's reporting, then he would be brutally wrong. So I'm going to put my money on Woj being right, and I'm going to put my money on, by the time maybe you even listen to this show, Kemba Walker, the news will be that they have agreed to a deal in principle, but they cannot announce it until free agency begins Sunday at 6 o'clock. Woj reported today, this morning, on this Thursday, June 27th, He says, quote, Kemba Walker is expected to be offered a four-year, $141 million contract to sign with the Celtics when free agency opens Sunday at 6 o'clock, a deal that he's increasingly likely to accept, league sources said. A deal that he's increasingly likely to accept. So that's the deal. Four years, 141 mil. You don't have your calculator out in front of you. That's fine. I do. That's $35 million a year. Now, if the Celtics do not bring back Terry Rozier, and in fact, I think if they renounce most of their restricted free agents, then they'll have enough to make this happen. Um, Maybe even have, according to Woj, $4.8 million in exceptions to still be able to bring in some type of center. Uh. You know, obviously, you, you traded Baines to Phoenix on draft night. Al Horford, we're thinking, is gone. Um, you know, unless they're making this move with the with the idea that, you know, they're going to convince Horford to stay. Uh, look, I'm going to say Woj is right. I, I, unless, you know, un, unless they're still playing the game. And Charlotte's looking at this going, well, we can't lose Kemba Walker. You know, he's going to be a franchise player. Let's let's give him more than four years, 141, because that's what we can do based on, you know, what we know, what, what the CBA rules are in the NBA. We can give him more than that. You know, maybe, just maybe, Walker's, Kemba Walker's still trying to get more from, from Charlotte. But since it's Woj reporting this now, I... I guess I have to put my money on the fact that by the time maybe, maybe even by the time you listen to this, or at least by the weekend, Woj's next report on Kemba Walker and the Celtics is going to be that they've agreed to the deal. Not that he's increasingly likely to accept, but that he has accepted. And my take on that is, if you're going to pay Gordon Haywood 32 mil and you're going to pay Kemba Walker 35 mil a year, I just think that one of those two contracts is a really bad contract. I think I think it is. One of those two contracts is a really bad contract. I mean, look around the league. We're talking about max contracts, max players. Let's, let's be honest. And I know some people are caught up in the Kemba Walker, UConn stuff. That seems like years. That's years ago. Don't even bring that into the equation when you're talking about Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker is an all-star player. I'm not... Like, I want to be careful here, too, because... I'm I'm not trying to make Kemba Walker sound as if he is some stiff in the NBA. He's not a stiff. He's a very good player. He's an all-star caliber player. At least he's been an all-star. 
and he's done a nice job in his career turning himself into an all-star player. Kemba Walker, he's a hard-working kid. He's 29 years old, as, as I told you. Um, he likes to shoot. He's top five in the NBA in field goals attempted and three-pointers attempted last season. And so he likes to shoot. I guess my issue with it is that it's this Kemba Walker signing, giving him $35 million a year for four years, it seems like, it just seems like a, hey, we have the money, why don't we spend it type of move. Rather than, and look, I, I don't know what the Celtics could do in two years, in three years. I, I don't know who's available in free agency then. I do know that if Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum turn into the players that I, I think we all want them to turn into, that Danny Ainge wants them to turn into, then, you know, they're going to have some decisions to make on those two guys as well when it comes to big money and potential max contracts, right? But also, you look just around the NBA what free agents could be available in the next year or two. So do you have to spend, just because Al Horford's leaving and Kyrie Irving's leaving, like, do you have to spend all of that money? Like, I, you know, that's what I wonder. Like, are people going to, are people going to crush Danny Ainge if he doesn't bring another player in on a max contract right now at this very moment? I know I wouldn't. I know I wouldn't if he wanted to bring in multiple guys for the for the money that he had saved. And if one of those guys were to be Terry Rozier, even if it was maybe an increase in salary at well or a ca- increase in cap hit, we'll call it anywhere from 12 to 14 million. And some people say, "Well, that's too much for him." Well, I mean, we're talking about giving Kemba Walker 35 million dollars per year for the next 4 years. I just don't think that sounds right. Like, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't feel right. And I'm trying not to make make it a knock on Kemba Walker, but I, I, I guess at some point it has to be if I'm saying this isn't a good contract. It just doesn't feel like, a, like the right move to me. The right move to me is bring in multiple players. You know, go get your center. Bring back Rozier. The cap hit is $9 million. You know, people keep, people keep trying to tell me when I bring up Rozier, and I even wrote this in my column for the Metro this week, is that Celtics, that would be a bad contract to give Kemba Walker if you gave him a max deal. They should just bring back Rozier. It seems like an obvious decision to me to bring back Terry Rozier. Again, I understand bringing him back is the difference between having $35, $36 million in cap space and having maybe, you know, $25, 26000000 million in cap space. I, I get the difference in the math. But, I mean, if you brought back Rozier, you'd still have some more money to spend somewhere else on somebody else. More than just a $4.8 million exception on some type of veteran center, which, you know, who knows what you got to do to get that. I just think adding Kemba Walker for $35 million a year for the next four years, when he's going to be in his 30s, I just think it complicates things more than you need to complicate things. If people keep trying to tell me when I bring up Rozier that, well, You'll have to spend more than the $9 million cap hit. Well, Rosie is a restricted free agent. I don't know. You might not. How many teams are out there throwing serious money at Terry Rosier? Honestly, how many? If nobody throws money at Terry Rosier, I got news for you. He's coming back. He would come back at a $9 million cap hit. But if a team was like, ah, oh, we'll give you, you know, we'll give you a two-year deal. A two-year $22 million deal. Two-year, $24 million deal. You know, $12 million a year. I think that is... I think that's a better contract than Kemba Walker for four years at $35 million a year. I, I just... The Kemba Walker deal to me doesn't seem right. Now, would he make the Celtics a better team? It, it, are the Celtics a better team with Kemba Walker than without him? Well, yeah. You know, people will get into the Kyrie Irving debate. I'm not going to get into that debate. If you line them up on a wall right now and you had captain first pick, who would you take first? I mean, I'd take Kyrie Irving. 
the factors involved, and there are factors involved, is that it did not work out with Kyrie Irving and the Celtics. For the most part, because he didn't show up in the playoffs, a, a point in time in which we all thought he would show up, which would basically eliminate all the feelings, the bad feelings that we had about him and his personality in the regular season. Meaning, we would be able to put up with Kyrie Irving if he could perform in the postseason and lead this Celtics team to becoming a championship contender year in and year out. But if he's not going to do that, then it's not worth the headache in the regular season for a guy that is just a very strange dude. So, Kyrie Irving, it seems like he never wanted to be here. And I told you the last couple of weeks, the last couple of months, that the Kyrie Irving experiment needs to end. So there are factors involved in the Kemba versus Kyrie debate. That's why it's kind of a tough debate to have. In general, if you line them up against the wall, you had captain first pick, you're just putting together a basketball team, I would hope you'd take Kyrie Irving over Kemba Walker. But considering the factors involved and what we saw with Kyrie with this group of Celtics, I think the Celtics needed a change, and I think Kyrie needed a change. And if you're going to bring in Kemba Walker, then... You know, he will, he might be, I don't know if he will, he might be a better fit than Kyrie Irving. He might be. He might be. Are the Celtics a better team? If Kyrie leaves, are the Celtics a better team with Kemba Walker than without him? Yeah, they are. So that's why it's a difficult argument even for me to make. But when you do factor in contracts and you, if we're going to, you know, say all factors involved... Let's factor in the contracts. Let's factor in the money that you're about to give Kemba Walker. Are we putting Kemba Walker on the same? I mean, I know he was an all-star, but is he the Mac? Is he a Max guy? Is he now? You could say, well, he was Horford a Max guy? Was Horford one of those guys? Well, no, he wasn't. But at the time they made that signing. Horford was also linked to Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant said he wanted to play with Horford. Horford was also, you know, you made that signing and it basically, you know, it, it, a lot of people at that time were like, nobody wants to play in Boston. Nobody wants to sign in Boston. Well, Al Horford wanted to play in Boston. So that turned the argument of, oh, nobody wants to play in Boston. That, that, that turned that upside down and said, well, that's that's not true. Al Horford wants to play in Boston. And you had money for a max contract, you know, give it to somebody, right? That's how I kind of feel about Gordon Haywood right now. Obviously, they coveted a certain player. They needed to overpay him to make sure they acquired that certain player that they coveted. They did not br- bring back Al Horford. And, you know, I told you, I think that's a good thing because... You know, you, you're going to spend over $30 million on all these guys for the foreseeable future. I just, guys that are not on that elite level, like the elite of the elite. Gordon Hayward's not on that elite of the elite level. Al Horford's not on that elite of the elite level. Is Kemba Walker on that elite of the elite level? No. But you want to give him $35 million a year. You kind of want to pay him like that. I, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't agree with that contract for Kemba Walker. I cannot do it. So my mindset on what I think the Celtics should do stays the same. It looks like I'm not going to get what I want to see. I'd like to see them bring back Terry Rozier. I don't think you're going to have to sign Rozier 15 million a year. If look, if Rozier ends up signing a deal with someone for like 15, 16 million a year, you know, three for three or four years, then you know, consider me wrong on that. And I'll eat that one. I'll eat that one. And and then maybe we look into the Kemba Walker thing a little bit more realistic. I, I just, but again, even without Rozier, it's like $35 million a year for the next four years. It, this just seems like the type of contract that prevents you from maybe doing something in two or three years that you might want to do. It just seems like a really bad contract. It does. It does. And you're going to get people coming out there like, oh, he's such a great guy. He's... He's, you know, he played at UConn. Like, he's going to know. Stop with the UConn thing. Stop. But you, you can't stop some people from the UConn thing because it's going to keep going. 
Is Kemba Walker worth $35 million a year? Obviously, Charlotte doesn't feel like he is, <laughs> right? Uh, I'd be curious to see who would give him this contract if the Celtics didn't. Like, did the Celtics, are they even, are they bidding against themselves for Kemba Walker? Are they even bidding against, like, what does Charlotte want to give him? So, I'm not on board with this. I'm just not. I'm not on board with it. Does Kemba Walker make them a a championship contender? Here are the guys that are going to make the Celtics championship contender. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Whether you like it or not, those are the guys. I've been trying to tell you the last couple weeks what the plan has been. The plan has been to take those Brooklyn picks, turn them into all-stars, superstar players, that were potent, you know, top picks in the draft, top three picks in the draft, turn them into max contract guys, make them your elite of the elite in the league. Some people might think at this point it's a pipe dream. I don't know how you could think that. Those guys are still young in their early 20s. They're still in diapers. And I kind of throw Terry Rozier into that conversation with those two guys, maybe not on the same level as those two guys because Rozier was 16 overall out of Louisville and... I know sometimes I say out of Rutgers, and I'm sorry for that because it's just, it's always, for, for whatever reason, I always think that he, I always, initially, I remember when he first got drafted, I thought he was, I thought he played college at Rutgers, but he didn't. It was Louisville. And because I thought that initially, it always sometimes slips into my mind, and I say it by accident, Louis, out of Louisville. Terry Rozier out of Louisville, 16 overall. Remember that draft, what was it, 2015? You know, nobody thought he was going to go that high. He was projected, I think, to go early second round in a lot of the mock drafts, if if I'm not mistaken, or at least late first round, not mid first round, not 16 overall to the Celtics. Celtics drafted him. I was confused by it, but the Celtics drafted him for a reason. Did they draft him at 16 overall for a reason that year to just be strictly a backup point guard? I don't think so. He was Isaiah Thomas's backup for his first two years. Then he played second fiddle to Kyrie Irving. The moments that Terry Rozier got as a starting point guard two years ago when Kyrie went down, and even in those playoffs, what was it, 19 starts in the playoffs he made at the point guard position? 16 starts at the end of the regular season at the point guard position. I mean, he was averaging 15, 16 points a game, five or six assists a game, handful of rebounds a game. You know, I think he was shooting like 40%, 40%, you know, even 39% from three. Like, Rozier was a, was a very good starting point guard in the small sample size that we've had as him as a starting point guard for the Celtics team. He has frustrated me, me at times on the court and things he said off the court and the way he's gone about things off the court. We've already gone over that. He's frustrated me, and I'm sure he's frustrated the Celtics. But if you want to factor in contracts, expectations, um, opportunity, like in my head, I'm thinking, all right, if Kyrie's going, you get a much cheaper option as your starting point guard, and you finally get to see him in a full-time spot as a starting point guard, and a kid you drafted higher than anybody thought was going to get drafted in 2015, and Terry Rozier, who has really never seen or never had the opportunity to be the full-time starting point guard. But when he's got flashes of that, he's been very good. He's been very good. I, as a backup point guard, you know, we want him to embrace that role a little bit more than he has. But man, there's a frustration level um, that we've seen, and I'm sure that we would all have if we were in his spot, where you get drafted at 16 overall, you know, you back up point guard, back up point guard, you get your shot, you actually help take the team to Game 7 in the East Finals, then you have to take a back seat to somebody that nobody on the team seemingly likes. I mean, you know, I, I kind of feel his frustration. I, like, I sense it, I feel it, I feel like I can almost relate to it in a way. And and so I'm 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 hesitant to really, you know, I've knocked Terry Rozier in the past. I have. I've knocked him in the past. Right? I I, I even said I even told you last off season that if the plan was to keep Kyrie Irving long term and you thought that was going to happen that you could have traded Rozier very high last summer 
after his postseason performance two years ago. Right? When he took over that role as a starting point guy when Kyrie went down. I told you, last summer, they should have probably traded him. They traded him high. There's no way they would get now what they could have got for him last summer. Um, obviously, especially with the contract and the restricted free agency, but just in general as a player. So, even with me saying that, though, since they didn't trade him and they held on to him, well, I just thought they held on to him for a reason. Did you hold on to him for a reason so that you could sit here now and sign Kemba Walker to a $141 million deal? Like, man, I... You know, I'd, I'd rather go the route of let's see if Kyrie ends up in Brooklyn and, and let's maybe see what De, what you could how you could get your hands on D'Angelo Russell. Like, I'd be more willing to do something like that. There's just something that does not seem right with this Kemba Walker signing. Look, I've been wrong on some of this stuff before, but I watched the NBA a lot. I've watched Kemba Walker a lot. He's a very good player. He's been an all-star, but I mean, to pay him $141 million, to pay him $35 million a year, you're telling me he's elite of the elite, and I'm telling you he's not. I'm telling you he's not. Does he make the Celtics better? Obviously. But could the Celtics be maybe just as good if they brought back Rozier for a lot less than what they're paying Walker? And then maybe added another piece with all the other salary? Or who knows what you, you know, who knows what you, what opportunities you have next summer or the summer after that? Who knows? So, um, I don't know. I'm a little confused by this. It doesn't really make sense to me. It kind of feels like some type of panic move. I'm not hitting the panic button, but from Danny Ainge's perspective, like, I just, it seems like they're going, hey, we got a we gotta slot for a max contract. If we don't bring back Rosia, let's give it to someone. What position do we need? Oh, point guard? Oh, let's give it a who's a let's give it a Kemba Walker, yeah. Doesn't really feel right to me to give him thirty five million a year. I, I would prefer to bring back Rosier and people who you know, I, look, people will hear that Rosier comment and they'll lose their minds. They'll say, Oh, Rosier sucks. Oh, he was on ESPN. Oh, he was just saying this, saying that. He he's not a team player. It's like I well, listen to his message. Those guys didn't like Kyrie Irving. Did you like Kyrie Irving as a fan? So if you agree with Terry Rosier's message, you can't be all worked up about what he said on ESPN. He went about it the wrong way. Yeah, he did. Rosier, who's paying him? I'd like to know that. Who's paying him? Who is? If nobody's paying him, then you got leverage in that situation for the Celtics because he's restricted. And even if you had to give him a little increase from the $9 million cap hit to paying him, you know, 10 to $12 million, I'd, I'd pay him $12 million a year. I would. Get, I'd like to, I want to see him have an opportunity to be the starting point guard. With Brown and Tatum. You know, those three years in a row, those first-round picks. Like, I'd like to see them play together. I would. We saw it. We got teased by it two years ago. Don't forget you you got Marcus Smart involved. I'd bring Morris back, too, with that group. You'd have money to bring in a center at that point. Yeah, I'm not even begging for a max contract center. Yeah, get creative. Get creative. Um... I just, the, the contract with Kemba Walker, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't. It just, it feels like, it feels like a panic move, but it also feels like a move that is something that you might, you know, might prevent you from doing something else that you want to do in the next two or three years. So, we'll see how it plays out. But uh, right now, it's looking like Kemba Walker to the Celtics on a four-year, $141 million dollar deal. Am I going to root for Kemba Walker if he's with the Celtics? Of course I'm going to. Of course I'm going to. I mean, especially since they're paying him $35 million. You got You want to root for him to average 28 points a game, <laughs> right? Um, I know that's that's a lot, obviously. Too much to ask, but but that's what you're rooting for. 
And um, obviously rooting for him to be a better fit than Kyrie. I don't know how you couldn't be a better fit than Kyrie from a from a teammate perspective, right? I don't know how you, you couldn't do that. But, you know, I'll be rooting for him. It's just I, I, I think it's, I think he's, I think that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money for Kemba Walker. That's, in my opinion, too much for Kemba Walker. So, We'll see how it plays out. Um, if it does become official by Sunday at 6 o'clock, I will, I guess, react further on Monday's podcast. Next week, I will be here on, though, I don't know if it's Monday or Tuesday, uh, Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated and The Zone, he will be joining me in studio next week at some point. I think Tuesday. The 4th of July is Thursday, right? Next Thursday? I mean, I say that like I have all these big fucking plans. I don't. I don't. I will say that um, I think my brain needs a timeout for a few days. Even if I just am walking out Castle Island with an iced coffee. All day. <laughs> or going to sit down the beach um, for a couple days straight. I, I, I do feel like my brain needs a timeout. So, um, am I going to be here on the 4th of July? No. Because uh, people listening to podcasts on the 4th of July or 4th of July weekend, I don't think so. So I think I'd be wasting my brain cells on people who won't be listening over the weekend. So I don't think we're going to have anything on Thursday. Probably just one podcast next week, early in the week. And I believe Chris Mannix, who covers the NBA, who also covers boxing. And you know I'm a big boxing fan. And we got uh, actually a big fight this weekend on DAZN, Demetrius Andrade who has the WBO middleweight championship. He is one of the middleweight championships. Canelo has the others. Demetrius Andrade has the other one. And um, he, this is basically a must-win for him because if he wins this, then he either gets Canelo to unify the belts or he gets Golovkin, Triple G. I think he'll probably get Triple G. I think that's the way Oscar De La Hoya wants to see this thing play out. Because he does, I think they're going to hold off on, on a Triple G fight. But anyways, Chris Mannix covers it all. I've asked him to come in studio next week around the time of the beginning of NBA free agency, free agency and he is going to do that. So uh, it's just a matter of what day and what time. But um, that will probably be my only podcast of the week next week. So whatever happens with Kemba Walker, we will react to it. Other NBA free agency news. Kevin Durant declines his $31.5 million player option with Golden State. I am actually surprised by this because I'm surprised by a lot of stuff right now. I didn't think the Celtics would be willing to give Kemba Walker that type of money. One. Two, I just thought it was an obvious play for Kevin Durant to accept his $31.5 million player option because he's not going to play next year. Unless it's, you know, unless he makes a miraculous comeback late in the season after this Achilles, reps at Achilles, he's going to miss all of next year. And I think by the sounds of it, you know, the way maybe he didn't like Golden's how Golden State said he was okay to play. By the sounds of it, he's going to do him when it comes to this injury, which means he's going to take care of himself. He's not rushing back for anybody or anything. Now, I'm not knocking him for that. I'm not knocking him for that. But that's just, I, I think that's the road we're going down with Durant. So if he's not going to play at all, wouldn't you just accept the easy $31.5 million? Why would you waste one year of a max contract with another team when you can make $31.5 million with Golden State? I don't get it. Unless he's thinking about re-upping with Golden State on a max deal, on like the Super Max. That could be it. That could be it. That, to me, would be the only reason you'd decline $31.5 million if you're not going to play at all. Because if he sits out the year, you mean to tell me teams like Brooklyn or the Knicks are not going to offer Kevin Durant the max contract next year? Even if he misses all season? Of course they're going to make him that offer. Of course they're going to still give him the money. So, unless he's just fed up with the West Coast and he just wants to move to the East Coast and he's done with it out there and he just wants to live in New York. There's reports that he sold his property in California that, um, you know, he's got new property in New York City. Then maybe he's just done with the West Coast. He wants to do all his... But, I mean, if he's rehabbing an Achilles, is he even going to be with the team? 
He could live in, in the East Coast. It makes no sense to me. I'm trying to make sense of him declining the $31.5 million. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't. I don't get it. The only way it makes sense to me is if he's going to try to get the Supermax from Golden State right now and really secure his future and guaranteed money, knowing the type of injury he just suffered. Right? I, that, that's the only reason it makes sense. But that's the news on Durant. He declines that option with Golden State. Uh, what else do we have? Clay Thompson, speaking of Golden State, reports that he is open to the Clippers, though I think this is what I told you I thought the Kemba Walker to the Celtics stuff was at first. I think that's exactly what the Clay Thompson to the Clippers stuff is now. Like, Clay Thompson wants the max deal. He cannot get the Supermax from Golden State, which is just a ridiculous NBA rule. But he can't get it. You saw him visibly frustrated with that in a press conference late in the season. Um, I, I don't know. Are the Warriors not going to give him the max money? The max deal? Maybe they're saying they won't. And Clay Thompson is like, well, if you don't do that, I'm going to Clippers to play with Kawhi. And so maybe he's putting the pressure. Maybe Clay Thompson and his agent are putting the pressure on Golden State to give him the max deal. But that's the report. And then you got a mystery team for Al Horford services. I don't know who that mystery team is. I honestly don't even care. Like, Al Horford is so, like, out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> like, I don't, whatever. Right? I, that's where I'm at with Al Horford. Like, whatever. He's sign, oh, he signed a huge deal with someone? Whatever. He's not with the Celtics anymore? All right. Gone. See ya. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. You know, that's how I feel about it. So, a mystery team for Al Horford. I don't know who that is, nor do I really care. Jimmy Butler could be going to Houston in a sign-and-trade. I'm assuming Clint Capella and Eric Gordon are going to be involved in this trade, this sign-and-trade. Now, reports out of Houston have Chris Paul and James Harden not getting along. This, to me, smells like all the Patriots reports that have Brady and Belichick, you know, not getting along and and buttonheads. You know what that is? That's two players that, and I'm not trying to compare Houston, the Houston Rockets and the Patriots organization, because obviously the biggest difference there is that the Patriots win championships. Houston cannot. But I can understand the frustrations with Chris Paul and James Harden because they're not winning championships. And maybe there is some type of rift there between those two guys, but I don't think it's as serious as maybe the reports are indicating, and we've even seen some other reports come out after the initial reports that say it's being blown out of proportion, the CP3 and uh, the Chris Paul and James Harden rift. So if they're trying to get Jimmy Butler, maybe they're trying to make Chris Paul happy, make James Harden happy. Um, Jimmy Butler from Houston. So, uh, I think Houston's just trying to make that work. And I think maybe the only way they can make that work with the salary cap is by making it a sign and trade with Philly. But Jimmy Butler has made it clear he is opting out and becoming a free agent. But if he wants to go to Houston, back to his hometown, a team he's been linked to, then even Jimmy Butler will have to know, well, it's going to have to be a sign and trade because Houston can't afford me. So that's when you talk to Philly and say, listen, I'm gone anyways. You might as well get something for me and help me make this happen. And I think that I would put my money on that happening. I would. Jimmy Butler and a sign and trade to Houston. And then uh, the other news is Marcus Saul, 34-year-old Marcus Saul, Raptors center. He opts in to Toronto with $25.6 million. And some people have seen this and thought to themselves, well, does that mean Kawhi Leonard is returning? Well, Kawhi Leonard has already said he's going to opt out and test free agency, but he has not ruled out a return to Toronto. We know how much money Toronto can give him. They can give him a monster contract, Supermax. Um, people have seen the Gasol opt-in and thought, well, he's coming back because he knows Kawhi's coming back. I'm not in that camp. I don't think this has anything to do with... Anything other than the fact that Marcus Saul at 34 years old knows he can make $25.6 million next year. That's it. He can make, like, if you're Marcus Saul, like, take Kawhi Leonard out of the equation and just ask him, like, would you like to make $25, 26000000 next year for one year? You would, right? Okay, then opt in. 
I think it's as simple as that. I wouldn't overthink that. I don't I don't think him opting in to a $25.6 million deal at 34 years old is an indication that Kawhi Leonard is definitely coming back to Toronto. I actually don't think Kawhi Leonard's coming back to Toronto. Or at least, like I said, I don't think the Gasol opt-in has anything to do with that. So, um, that's what we got in the NBA free agency market. Now, there's some new, some some weird NBA news broke yesterday that I don't really understand. And and maybe some people could hit me up on Twitter at Danny Picard to let me know what all this means. But the NBA is exploring a shorter regular season to go along with a mid-season cup-style tournament and maybe even a a postseason play-in tournament? Like, I am so confused by this. I'm on board with shorter seasons in both the NBA and the NHL, even in Major League Baseball, okay? Um, but more so NBA, NHL. I'm on board with shorter seasons. They play 82-game seasons. If you wanted to start the seasons in December... Both of those leagues, NBA and NHL, I'd be okay with that. Now, obviously, they care about the bottom line, which is money. Is a shorter season, does that mean more money? No, it means less money. So how does this make sense? Well, the plan would be to have a mid-season tournament, a postseason. I don't know how you'd have a postseason tournament. It's called the playoffs. Make the playoffs. So maybe we're just talking midseason tournament, and they think they can add and generate enough revenue in a midseason cup style tournament tournament to make up for the money that's lost by shortening the regular season. They've gone, according to ESPN.com, the talks that they've had, they've gone all the way down to a potential 58 game regular season in the discussions they've had. Now It's fluctuated between, you know, just taking five games off the 82-game schedule all the way to having a 58-game season. Um, I'll read you the quote from ESPN.com. It says, quote, The NBA is formally exploring how it might use its 75th anniversary season as an opportunity to test some of its bolder initiatives, not only a mid-season cup and postseason play-in tournament, but also a reduction in the 82-game regular season schedule. On a June 17th conference call, a committee that consists of approximately a dozen top-team executives from both basketball and business operations discussed with the league office ideas for alternatives to the traditional NBA schedule for the 21-22 season. In what sources categorize as a wide-ranging brainstorming session with accompanying documents, participants contemplated how the NBA could introduce the aforementioned tournaments as well as an abbreviated slate of regular season games to accommodate the additional events. So tournament, I don't, this is where my confusion is. Like, what do they mean by that? What's a tournament? Like, I know what a tournament is in general. But a mid-season tournament? A postseason play-in tournament? So what, you mean to tell me, like, the NIT? It's going to (laughs) be, like, if you don't make... If you don't make the NBA playoffs, you potentially could get involved in a a smaller play-in tournament, much like the NIT is to the NCAA tournament. That's just stupid. That's stupid. You should only have one postseason tournament, and that's the NBA playoffs. Or maybe they're talking about like a summer league tournament. Is that like, which also could be considered a preseason tournament? If you want to do a midseason tournament. Maybe like a three-on-three? Like, is that what we're talking about? Right? Maybe take some of the concept from the big three, which, by the way, I am shocked that that's still going on. I saw a tweet with a video the other day. I think with Big Baby. The big three is still... They're still playing. They're still playing. I I don't know how much longer that's going to survive. But maybe the NBA could take some of that, what they see, and say, all of that doesn't work. But what we could do is create our own little big three. A little big three. (laughs) You get what I'm saying. And maybe we could do it in the midseason. 
You know, we could have a midseason break, three on three. You know, not everyone has to play. You know, you could choose to play. It's just confusing to me because I look at it from a CBA perspective and a players union perspective, and I just don't think that the players union is going to buy in to a midseason tournament. I just don't think so. And with the own, what about the owners? I guess for the owners, it's all about money. If you can convince the owners that you're going to make just as much, if not more money, then I guess they'll be on board with it. But man, could you imagine if like you take this mid-season break and your superstar player gets hurt in a mid-season meaningless tournament? Cup-style tournament? Like, really? You know, you know, unless they're going like Olympic-style stuff, but I mean... Would that even be competitive? I just, I don't get it. I'm confused. I don't know how that would make sense. I'm all for shortening the regular seasons, but the other stuff? You know, obviously the other stuff is being done to try to make up for the money that you would lose by shortening the season, but I don't know. I don't think they're going to go for that. I don't think anyone would go for that. What if someone gets hurt in a midseason tournament? Does that Would that make any sense? You know what we'd be doing after that? We'd be saying, oh, stupid. They should have never had the stupid tournament. They should go back to an 82-game season and just make it business as usual. I think you you have a better chance of seeing the NBA turn the playoffs into a one-league top 16 teams in the league tournament. I think you have a better chance of seeing them do that than this. I do. I do. You have a better chance of seeing the NBA say... We're, we're going to, when it comes to the playoffs, we are going to eliminate the East versus the West, and we are going to just take the top 16 teams in the NBA and play one, you know, one place 16, two place 15, and we're going to go that way. That's what we're going to do. Like, I could see, there's a better chance of that happening than, there's a better chance of that happening than this. Mid-season tournaments. I don't think we'll see mid-season tournaments. But uh, it's something that the NBA is talking about. And so I had to mention it. So that's the NBA news. Anything else in the world of sports that I am not talking about? I mean, when it comes to major news, you know, I, I talked about the Red Sox and Yankees going to London this weekend. Does anybody really care? Well, I'll watch because it's Red Sox-Yankees. I'm not watching because they're in London. I, I don't need to see it in London. In fact, I would prefer these games to not be in London. Red Sox-Yankees, they play 19 times a year, and those games should be in only two places, the Bronx and Fenway. That's it. That's it. So that's where you got Major League Baseball. The trade deadline will be here next month, a month from now, and we'll get we'll dive deep into that when that does come around and we get closer to that. But that's not a major story yet. Uh, the NHL, you know, last weekend they had their draft. There was a big trade with P.K. Subban. I talked about that on Monday. Um, their free agency is going to begin, but, you know, it definitely does not have the buzz or the hype that the NBA free agency and the NBA offseason does. And then, you know, I guess the closer we get to August, the closer we get to training camps and, and, and preseason football will actually be here before you know it. You know, you get to 4th of July, next thing you know, you got preseason football. Training camp and preseason football. So um, that'll be it before you know it. We'll have our eye on that. But right now, that's not a major story. So that brings me, I'll close out the show with a top story in professional wrestling, which is something that I cover sometimes on this show. And it's in the WWE. And it was breaking news this morning. And I read it from Justin Barrasso from Sports Illustrated, who is a friend of this show, who is a guest on this show, and who will be a guest on this show again before SummerSlam. He's in studio every time, what, what's he in studio? Four times a year? He's in studio before Royal Rumble, before the four major pay-per-views in WWE. We have him in studio before Royal Rumble, before WrestleMania, before SummerSlam, and before Survivor Series. So he will be in, when's, when's SummerSlam? Next month? We'll get him in next month. And we'll certainly be talking about the news that he broke today. And the news that he broke today is that the WWE names Paul Heyman. That's right. My name is Paul Heyman. That Paul Heyman. 
WWE names Paul Heyman the executive director of Monday Night Raw. And WWE also names Eric Bischoff the executive director of SmackDown Live. And Eric Bischoff will deal with Fox because SmackDown Live is going to Fox in the fall, in October. And it's going to Friday nights. Now, the other part of this news is that both Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff will both directly report to Vince McMahon, which is no surprise. I think we knew they would report to Vince McMahon. Um, I guess the question is, what does it all mean? Like, they break this news and they give them these titles. I guess they bring Eric Bischoff back. Is that the news? Like, the fact that Paul Heyman is like, ends up being executive director of anything in WWE. Is that really news? I mean, we know the role Paul Heyman has. Um, We know how important he is to the company. Is that really the big news? I think the big news is that they're bringing Bischoff back, which in a way then brings us back to Paul Heyman because the question now is what does this mean? Like, what do these moves mean for the WWE? And more importantly, what does it mean for professional wrestling? Look, I do not have the inside scoop on this. They are saying that Eric Bischoff, according to the report from Justin Barrasso in Sports Illustrated, they're saying that these roles that they're going to have as executive directors of Raw and SmackDown, Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff, you're not going to know it. It's not going to be part of a TV storyline. It's strictly behind the scenes. Now, I would say for now, (laughs) right? Like we know how things can change. We know that it's not out of the realm of possibility that, that like we could see this on TV, maybe not right now, but eventually we could, right? Eventually we could. Um, what does it mean? Here's what I think it means. I just think this is Vince McMahon preventing either of these two guys and preventing both of these two guys from going to AEW. That's all I think it is. That's really what I think it is. I don't know the money they're getting. I don't know the size of the contracts. I'm sure they're pretty large. I'm sure the contracts are pretty big. Um, and I'm sure that probably prevents them from going to AEW. Right? I mean, what else does this mean? What else does it really do? I don't know. Other than preventing him from going to AEW. Are they better creative minds for the Raw and SmackDown brands? Yeah, probably. Probably. But I mean, I'm not somebody that sits here and complains about WWE every day at the same time. So it's like, I, 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 don't, I don't think that it's a company that needs such a major overhaul that people on Twitter say it does. I still enjoy it. Um, so I just think, look, this is a bad, WWE's in a battle with AEW, they're in a battle with Ring of Honor and New Japan Pro Wrestling, um, I think they're in a battle with everybody in professional wrestling, or even some of the smaller indie wrestling companies that are able to get this stuff out on social media, which helps fuel the fire of the other companies outside of the WWE, and so WWE's in that battle. I think anything that they can do from preventing very smart wrestling people with knowledge of their own company from going to other companies that are competitors, then I think the WWE wins by keeping them those guys with them. And by making Eric Bischoff the executive director of SmackDown Live and by making Paul Heyman the executive director of Raw, it prevents them from ever even considering jumping ship to go anywhere else. Right? It does. And that's all I think this means. That's it. That's all I think it means. So, you got this Twitter war now that's going on in professional wrestling. And as I kind of told you on my other podcast, which is a weekly wrestling show with Ring of Honor world champion Matt Taven, uh, on this week's show, I went on a little rant about how I applaud Seth Rollins for calling out I mean, you know what? Maybe not even calling out initially. All he did was really defend his own company. And I applaud him for defending his own company on on Twitter by saying it's the best pro wrestling in the planet, period. I applaud him for doing that because it was about time somebody in the WWE did it. And he's the universal champ. He's their top dog. It didn't need to be him. 
But it was him, and I'm glad it was him. And I'm just glad it, I'm just glad it was someone. Because when AEW was having their little double or nothing pay-per-view, it's like, every, you know, I saw all these WWE guys tweeting about it and how they're happy for their friends. And it almost seemed like a sour grapes complaint that they weren't getting theirs and they're happy that others that either left or did their own thing in another company are getting theirs. And it just, again, it sounded like sour grapes and, and I thought it was a bad look for them and a bad look for WWE. WWE needed someone to step up, go out on Twitter and say, wait a minute, I have a lot of pride in the company I work for and we're still the top dog. And that's what Seth Rollins did. And I I applaud him for that. I'm happy he did it. It was kind of a breath of fresh air (laughs) for somebody like myself who was sitting there going, why isn't anyone from WWE? Why are they all praising the competition? You know, and then you got Will Ospreay involved. And, um, you know, that's a whole nother company, right? New Japan Pro Ring of Honor. And, uh, look, the competition is healthy. But I hate seeing, and I hated seeing people from WWE looking at the competition and kind of making it sound like, wow, I'd rather be with the other guys than in the company I'm at now, and this shit company I'm at now. You know, I hate the John Moxley, Dean Ambrose thing. John Moxley did an interview on Chris Jericho's podcast, and I thought that was terrible. Honestly, I thought that was a horrible look for John Moxley. He's just complaining about the WWE and how bad it was for him. They wanted me to say this. They wanted me to say that. It's like, dude... Do you realize why your debut at Double or Nothing was so special? Like, do you even understand why that was so big and why that was so important and why that was such shocking news and why that was such a big, you know, exciting moment? Do you even understand why that was such a special moment in at Double or Nothing? Because of Vince McMahon. And I heard John Moxley in another interview say, Oh, it was the greatest moment of my wrestling career. Showing up at AEW at Double or Nothing. You know, that is a dumb comment because you're telling me that that appearance at Double or Nothing at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, you're telling me that that was more important to your wrestling career than winning the WWE Championship? (laughs) Like... With they, they, the Universal Championship, right? Didn't he have that at one point? Like, you mean to tell me that that appearance was more important than that? Oh, come on. Give me a break. I mean, it's, it's, it, that's all sour grapes. That's like, you're blaming a company for, cre- for helping you create what you are now calling the greatest moment of your career. If you, if WWE didn't make you a member of the shield and put, you know, put straps around your waist and over your shoulder, then, then that, then you would have never even had that moment because AEW would have never even got you to make that appearance because you wouldn't have been popular in the first place. Like, what can't you understand about that? So there's a lot of things that are said in the wrestling industry that it's just, it's like, mind-boggling to me. And the way people attack WWE is crazy, man. It is crazy. Crazy to me. And it all sounds so silly and insecure and pathetic. And, you know, WWE, they understand the competition. So they're, they're making Paul Heyman executive director of Raw. They're making Eric Bischoff executive director of SmackDown Live. They're preventing these guys from going anywhere else. And that's a good move. And you know what? There's probably more coming. They're going to do other things with other people. They're going to make other decisions. But this is part of the healthy competition, I guess you could say. Right? Is that it's forced the WWE to maybe step up their game and make decisions that maybe they wouldn't make if there was not any other competition that maybe they wouldn't make if AEW didn't exist, that maybe they wouldn't make if Ring of Honor New Japan wasn't selling out Madison Square Garden. WrestleMania weekend, right? I mean, that, that's that's it. 
So it is a healthy competition. I just wish everybody would stop bitching about it, including the wrestlers themselves. Right? Including the wrestlers themselves. So, um, that's the WWE news. Anything else that happens, I'll react on this show. I'm here every Monday and Thursday, though, like I said, next week, just one show, and I believe we're going to have Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated and DAZONE in studio for that. So, have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the summertime weather, and uh, I'll be back next week to send you in to the 4th of July. Talk to you then.